Good morning. Our scripture this morning comes from Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 to 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you're all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of, Je of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God, the Word of God. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, team. I said this earlier, uh, we have the Philippians journals, and if you would like one of those, Wanda has some wherever she is in the building. She's over here. Just raise your hand if you want one now so that you could take notes this morning, and Wanda will bring them to you. So just keep your hand up high so Wanda can see you. We'll get them to you in the room this morning, and that way you can begin today. The, the joy of having a journal like that, if you don't carry one already, is that you can, as you go back and study God's Word, have that scripture right there in front of you. If you are watching online and you'd like to have one of those, just uh, come by the, the, the offices one day this week, uh, and we'll be glad to get one to you. Uh, we have plenty of them that we have ordered. Um, also, uh, just, just want to uh, thank so many people. The folks behind me get here at 7 o'clock in the morning. They are here till 12 o'clock. Our parking lot crews, our guest uh, crews, our medical team, our security team, all of these folks are spending hours every Sunday here right now. Would you thank them if you are in the room? And thank you. And if you're online, just give them a shout out. Uh, and then, of course, all of our crews who are making our Facebook and our YouTube possible, we are so, so grateful for them. In 2020, we have fed more people than in any other year in the history of our church. Uh, in 2020, we finished a building project that we started saving for seven years ago. In 2020, we have launched four additional worship services. And in 2020, we have seen our online attendance grow exponentially. And yet, any of the things that I mentioned above can be done without seeking God's help. How do we know that God is at work at grace? Paul wrote to the church at Philippi and assured them that God was at work. But how did Paul know? How did he know it was God? And if we can answer that question, how can you and I know that what is happening here at Grace is the work of God? The church at Philippi, its beginnings are anything but ordinary. 
You see, the church at Philippi started when Paul and company entered that city, and when they did, he found out, as was Paul's custom when he traveled, where the synagogue was or where worshipers met. And there was a group of people worshiping on the banks of the river. There was somebody in that group by the name of Lydia. She was a well-to-do businesswoman, a seller of purple. She dealt in fabrics. And Paul went, encountered Lydia, and the other women there shared the gospel, preached the good news. They were already worshipers of God of the Old Testament, but did not know the Jesus of the new. He preached the Jesus of the new, and they came to faith in Christ, and thus the Philippian church was born. But then there was this turn. There was a slave girl. This slave girl, she uh, uh, was used by her owners to tell fortunes And she discovered Paul and company, and she discerned even as a demonically possessed slave girl that Paul and company were truly followers of Jesus. And she began to follow them around, and she began to say so. So much so that Paul got frustrated with her, turned around, cast the demons out of her in the name of Jesus. And when he did, her owners became angry because their money-making machine was gone. So they grab Paul, throw him in prison along with his buddy Silas. Now, if you grew up in church, you know the story of Paul and Silas. They're in prison. They're singing. They've been beaten mercilessly. Their backs are bleeding. But at midnight, what are they doing? They're singing and they're praying. When all of a sudden, Philippi, which was known for earthquakes, there's an earthquake that takes place. And when it does, the the shackles come off. They can run freely out of the prison. But do they? No. No, there's a Philippian jailer who's ready to kill himself. And Paul says, oh, no, don't do that. And he shares the gospel with the guy who beat his back. And when he does, that Philippian jailer and and his entire family came to Christ. So we've got Lydia, a seller of purple. We've got a slave girl turned follower of Jesus. And we've got a Philippian jailer and his family. That's the church at Philippi. I love it. I love the the wealth and lack thereof, the the education and lack thereof, the, 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 the past history. That's church. Amen? That's us. We come together like this with all kinds of things bound up in who we once were, what we once did, where we've been, our histories, our stories. Thus the church at Philippi began. And Paul now sits in prison again when he writes this letter. He is now in Rome. He's come to the end of a rather fruitful ministry that has been fraught with difficulty. And he pins a letter to them. And it is remarkable that he is so joyful. His feet may be in stocks, but his heart is free. And he writes this letter 
And in verse 6, he zeroes in on this truth that God will finish what he began. God will finish this beginning of this ragtag kind of group, Lydia, the seller of purple. When Paul and Silas and company left Philippi, they went by Lydia's house, greeted her, the book of Acts in chapter 16 says, and they left. And Paul writes back to them and says, I am sure of this, that he, verse 6, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, it is verses 1 and verses 9 through 11 that we need to zero in uh, on this morning because wrapped around those verses are Paul's personal reflections. I also must confess to you, Philippians 1.6, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture On more than one occasion, I've wondered if the work God began in me would actually be finished. I've wondered about that honestly, but one of the things I discovered this week, maybe discovered all over again, is that the word you here is plural. It is not to you as an individual. Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. He is saying that what God started in that church, he will bring to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Around these three ver- these verses, uh, 6 and 9 through 11, we discover three tests, I'll call them, for knowing if God is at work. Is this at grace the work of God, or is it the work of people who work very hard, who are organized, who know how to lead, who know how to do things, Let's look at the three tests. Test number one, God is at work when you love more and more. You know it's God when you love more and more. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Verse 9, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more, that you will love more and more. You, the church. The word abound is to overflow. More and more just makes it super abound. And honestly, when I thought of this, probably awful that I thought of food, but I did. And when I thought of food, I thought of whipped cream. Why? Because I am made fun of every almost week at my house because I like my dessert not with whipped cream. I like whipped cream and add dessert to it. I do. And it, it can't be in, 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 you know, Cool Whip. That ain't it. it it's got to be in the can. And so when last Sunday, Wendy made from fresh peaches, peach cobbler, no lie, I went to make mine, and I don't do it with ice cream. I went to make mine, and so I had this much peach cobbler and this much whipped cream. I know how to stack it, and it won't fall down. That is what the word abound means, to overflow, to superabound. It means that when a church does that, you feel it when you walk in the doors. You sense it. You know that love is there. Paul, sitting in prison, chained to Roman guards, 
says, you bring me joy. And he uses a word, partnership. Now, this is a famous word in seminary. It comes from the Greek word koinonia, which means fellowship. Paul uses in this letter brothers and sisters nine times. Knowing Jesus puts you and me into a family. When you come to know God by faith in Jesus Christ, you become a son or daughter of God. You become a brother or sister of all others who know Christ. You join a family. As you know, we go to Africa. Last Sunday, my phone blew up. Often it blows up from the pastor in Africa, which always makes me laugh. He has no electricity, but he has a cell phone. That's 2020. So no electricity, but a cell phone. Takes pictures, records videos. And so last week, they had baptism there. And I think we have some of those pictures uh, up. Look at this young woman getting ready to be baptized. Isn't that remarkable? Look at, uh, at uh, her going into the water uh, these, for them, baptism is a significant thing because their families will ostracize them. This country is 95% Muslim, so for somebody to be baptized into faith in Jesus Christ, it's a remarkable thing. But I will say to you, in my time in Africa, when I saw those pictures, my heart melted. Why? I know and love that pastor. Yes, this does say Titan soccer. Just want, I had to put that one up there. So uh, McDowell Titan T-shirts have made it all the way to Senegal, Africa, where there's no electricity, and, and, and all God's people said, amen. amen. There we go. There it is. But, um, but yeah, just amazing. And when we go to Africa, it's like I grew up with them. I love them as if they're mine. We're the only white people around and we camp out in tents right in their village. And we eat food cooked over an open fire called their kitchen. The first time we met these folks in this village, we showed up. and There was a big fat turkey running around on a Friday. We came on Sunday. And the big fat turkey wasn't running around anymore. Why? It was in the pot. They killed their one and only turkey for us, cooked it for us. We sat around and ate their best. I love them. When I get to heaven, we'll sit for eternity with them and they with me. I can't describe that feeling other than it's the same feeling I have for you. I love you. I love you especially. I happen to know a lot of people on the phone yesterday with Mike Smith, who's a wonderful black pastor here in the county. He and I problem-solving something together. Young pastors that I talk to every single week, but I don't love them like I love you. You're my local church. We do life together. 
That's what this means. Paul says we are partners in the gospel. From the first day you arrived, I arrived. You partnered with me. And he says you still are. Why is that huge? Because Paul's not this polished traveler anymore. His feet are in stocks. His arms are chained to Roman guards. Every move he makes, somebody is with him and beside him. As a matter of fact, Paul and Timothy write this letter because Paul could not move his hand to write. He says, you're partakers from the same root word as koinonia. Why are we this way? John, John 13, 34, and 35, a new commandment I give to you. Wow. There is over 600 in the Old Testament. Jesus, why do we need a new one? Why? Look at this. That you what, church? Say it loud. Love. That was pathetic. All right. Let's try that again. That you what? Love one another. That you love one another. Just as I've loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you build big buildings. Is that what Jesus said? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you preach great sermons. No. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Oh, wow. God is at work in us at grace if we love more and more. Number two, God is at work in us at grace if we know what is right. Verse 9 says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. There's a comma, with knowledge and all discernment. Notice that Paul doesn't stop with love more and more. He says there's got to be a mixture of discernment, knowledge. These two words are not just random words that Paul inserts. There are no random words in Scripture. Why? Why does he say this? Well, love without knowledge is sentimentalism. If you love without knowing, we call that blind love. It's just dumb. It isn't wise, and Paul makes that clear here. There needs to be knowledge, and there needs to be discernment. So the word knowledge means moral knowledge. There's got to be some guardrails on the highway of love in the Christian life. There are guardrails. You say, Jerry, do they have to be? Well, if you've ever played basketball, you are glad that there are in bound and out-of-bound lines. Otherwise, it's no fun. Football without the yard lines is not a fun sport. Baseball without an outfield, without a wall over which you can hit the ball and call it a home run is not fun. Life without guardrails, love without knowledge and discernment is a wreck. The word discernment, it's the only time it's used, and it means perception or depth of insight. It's one thing to know something. It's another thing to understand what you know. And that's what it means to discern. I'm going to say something bold here. Loving God isn't enough. Loving God isn't enough. 
Why? Ephesians 4, Paul writes, 14 and 15, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. The reason there is sin in the world is because Satan deceived Adam and Eve. And the reason there is sin in your life and mine is because Satan still deceives us. He still tricks us. And so love without knowledge and discernment is very deceptive. Rather, Paul writes, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Notice how we grow by speaking the truth in love. So hear me, love without truth is soft. Love without truth is soft. Truth without love is harsh. Neither is a good place to be. Truth must be mixed with love if it is to be Christian. That's what Paul writes It's what we learn. It's what we know. Now, Wendy and I have two kids we love dearly. We have interesting conversation recently because Adrian and Whitney, they have a two-year-old, I guess, almost two, and or maybe two, and so he he acts like Adrian. And that ain't good. And Adrian's preaching next door, so I can say whatever I want to. So he acts like Adrian, and we were sitting down, and they were talking about it, and we said, and Trent was in the room with us, and we said, oh, this should be the time you introduce Mr. No-No. And Trent just sat back, and Trent said, just hearing that does not do good things to me. (laughs) Why? What is Mr. No-No? Mr. No-No, we still have at our house, is a, a, a wooden spatula. You know, just that you should cook with. But we decided to move out of the kitchen and to the whole house. Uh, at times, it, it made it into the Honda Pilot. It, it was needed for trips. Mr. No-No has a name on him called Mr. No-No. He's got a frowny face written on him. And, uh, and so as I thought it would be my job and Wendy's to share with Adrian and Whitney about the need for Mr. No-No, no, Trent stopped us. He said, let me tell you about Mr. No-No. <laughs> and he told them all about Mr. No-No. And, 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 and he said, all mom had to do was just lift up Mr. No-No. And I quit. Whatever it was, he did confess that sometimes he would pretend to hurt when he didn't just to get Mr. No-No to stop. So it's nice to get that confession at the age of 17. What is my point? If you're going to parent effectively, you will love and speak truth, and you will do it every single day, all day long. It's love and truth. It's truth and love. It's love and truth. One without the other is soft. One without the other is harsh. It's a mixture of both. Paul will speak truth in this letter. As a matter of fact, in chapter 4, would you not hate this? Like when we all get to heaven, if you've read your Bibles, I'm going to find Euodia and Syntyche because they can't get along. And Paul calls them out in chapter 4 and go, Pah! 
You're the two who couldn't get along, and you made it into the Bible. You're horrible. No, we won't do that in heaven. But they're there. Like Paul mentions their names in chapter 4 and says, get along. Get along with each other. He speaks truth and love. He says the result, if you do that, you can approve or test, which means to test or be recognized as genuine after examination. He says so that you may approve what is right. All of life is that. You're going to have to wade through some things and figure some things out. There are some things that are going to come your way that you will not understand. And so there must be a mechanism built into every single one of us that approves tests what is right and what is wrong. And yes, it's 2020, and they're still right, and they're still wrong. They're still moral and immoral. It still exists today, regardless of what our media says. So I'm going to jump right into something today that must be addressed. This morning on the screen, you've seen pictures of black people that I love dearly. Those of you who know me know that black people are members of my family. I love black people. Love being on the phone with my black brother, Mike Smith, yesterday to talk about an issue. I love black people. I love Hispanics. I speak Spanish fluently. And when I got off the phone with him, I was sitting in front of Irma's, and I went in to grab some stuff and talk to Victor, that wonderful Hispanic young man who runs that with his mom. I love people of all nationalities. But I, nor can our church, ever adopt the views of the organization Black Lives Matter. Not now and not ever. Why? Here is a statement, and I challenge you to go to their beliefs. That's what they call them, beliefs. They're an organization that runs philosophically deep. Just one statement I'll pull. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. This is their words. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. What are they saying? The Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement is specifically Judeo-Christian, meaning we believe that the best homes are those with a mom and a dad who love each other and raise kids to love each other and to love their neighbors as they love themselves. With intentionality, fathers are left out. You say, why? 
Read the rest of their beliefs and you'll see it. It is unreal. I do not say this politically. You know me well enough to know I don't traffic there. I say this to say this. You can be intelligent. You can think and you can disagree with what's rolling out of the media these days without being a bigot. It is possible and it must happen. And so when the city of Asheville decides to paint on the main center of their city, Black Lives Matter, they are supporting this ridiculous mess. When all of this began to go down, I sat with our interns, all young folks in a room, and said, what are you going to do? How do we process this? And here's what we determined we ought to do. Touch the people that we know the best. So I got on my phone, and I began messaging every black person I knew who comes here or does not, that I know personally, to tell them how I value them and how I am sorry for things they have endured. And I meant it. Their responses to me were unbelievable, especially one who lived with us for six months, Tyrell. Remarkable responses. I got on the phone and I began texting all of the police I know. We live in a county with compassionate, competent police. And I told them how I appreciate their capacity to do what they do with integrity. Am I allowed to do both those at the same time, I better. Do not buy into the media's message that it's either or. That's a lie out of the pits of hell. It is the deceiver doing what he does best. Think, use your brain, speak truth and love. Love without truth is soft. Truth without love is harsh. How do we know God is at work at grace? When we love more and more and when we know what is right. And thirdly, God is at work when you do what is right. Why do you think Paul wrote these things? Well, he established that church And I bet they're wondering, was Paul the real deal? The guy who came on that riverbank now sits in prison near the end of his life. Number three, God is at work when you do what is right. The rest of 10 and 11, so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I love the songs that were chosen for us to sing this morning. Uh, What does it mean to be pure and blameless? Pure means without hidden motives. 
does not mean perfect. You will have to run to the Father again and again and again and again. What does it blameless mean? Not to cause somebody else to stumble. People are watching you. We have so many school teachers in this church. We have no idea all the complexities of school as it resumes, but your kids are watching you. Some of them are desperate to see just a bit of normalcy as they walk back in your classroom and see your face. Is it going to be easy? No, it's not. I would just say to you as teachers, probably one of the best things you can do is to make yourself a reminder that you will not complain at all, ever. That you know you're stepping into a world of change, but there are kids who desperately need you in their lives. They need you in front of them. If you have ever, as a Christian teacher, been on the front lines, it is today, it is in the next month, it is in the next two months, as you step into homes where kids have been categorically, verbally abused since March because they could not get out of it, but now they can, and they can walk into your classroom, and they can see love and truth, and truth and love, and love and truth, and truth and love. I am so excited for school to start back for many reasons, but that's one. Let's put our kids in front of teachers who love them and who will help them during this crazy time that some of these kids have been enduring in the absence of the normalcy of your classroom. That wasn't in my notes. It just came out. Our second value here at Grace is heart change that leads to life change. And we're just convinced that when you hear the truth of God's word spoken in love, the Holy Spirit will take that truth and begin to drive it deep in your heart. And when he does, all of a sudden what happens in here just comes out. Like it just does that. So we're not walking around looking for conformity and uniformity and, and, and wear this or do this. And No, 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 no. We're, we just trust the Holy Spirit to start something in here that just bubbles and works out. And when it does, uh, as a matter of fact, later, what, Philippians 2, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both the will and the work for his good purpose. Aren't you glad God's at work in you this morning? Aren't you glad that when you go to sleep at night, God's at work, and when you wake up in the morning, he's at work, and when you are in your worst circumstances, God's at work, and when life is at what you deem to be best, there is a God on the throne who also lives inside of you, who is at work, and he never stops, and he never will, and he'll work in you and through you until he gets you safely home. I could clear off a place and preach this morning, and now I have a podium I can beat on, so we're good. It is amazing to know that there is a God on the throne and he is at work in and through you. Be encouraged if you're watching, if you're listening, if you're sitting here. God has not quit what he's doing and he will not. Amen. He will not until we're what? Look at verse 11. Filled with the fruit of righteousness. Fruit. What's fruit? Well, it's what grows on trees or comes out of the ground. And guess what? It takes time. Just takes a whole lot of time. Just takes time. If you're parenting, hang in there. It takes time. Those of you, of you teachers, I know it's a few weeks away, but you're finally figuring out how we're going to do things. It's going to take time. Be patient. Fruit will come. Fruit will come. Two weeks ago, this kid found me. He walked all over place here until he found me. Why did he need to find me? 
years ago came to our after-school program called Champs. Came because he had to. I don't know how thrilled he was to be here. He apologized to me for running the guitar instructor off. We taught guitar then. But he said, I just had to tell you that God has saved me. My life is not the same. And it started here. Jarrett Dula is his name. Fruit take time, takes time. So is God at work at grace? We have some tests. 2020, we have fed more people than in any other year. We finished building a building we started saving for seven years ago, launched a bunch of new worship services. Loads of you are joining us online. And this is either fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God, or it is fruit of man-made efforts that come through organized people to the praise and glory of man. We do not straddle the fence on that. It's one or the other. If God started it, you can be confident. He has no unfinished projects on his to-do list. He'll finish it. As a matter of fact, that word, God, that word completion comes from a word telos in the Greek. Jesus on the cross said one word, tetelestai. It is finished. That act on the cross guarantees that every single thing thereafter he will finish. On the cross, he finished and paid the price for your sin. And if Jesus will die for you and rise from the dead for you, he will walk with you and he will walk with grace wherever the road may lead. He'll finish the good work he started. Jesus, thank you. Oh, that you use people like me to proclaim a word like this in a time like this to a people like this. We're blown away. Love you, Jesus.